Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is May 11th, 2022, and you are traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but also of technology news. A journey into the wondrous land of all things that are happening in technology. You see a signpost up ahead. It says, The Rundown. Happy Twilight Zone Day to everybody out there. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am back again for uh, this wonderful take on all things cool and technology. Uh, and I'm joined by a different co-host today. No, we're not in the Twilight Zone. I would like to introduce Mr. Jim Suprinsky to the show. Jim, hello. Hello, Tom. It's uh, my honor to be here today. Uh, I didn't know there was a Twilight Day, Twilight Zone Day. There we go. You know what? Uh, we find out all kinds of interesting things on the news uh, every day. I always try to find out something quirky and fun. Um, so we're actually going to go ahead and dive right into the uh, the stories today. So let's do this. I'm going to cue one up uh, about something that Jim is, is pretty familiar with, and that would be uh, Oracle, because a class action lawsuit against the database giant and reported cloud provider gained steam today after the judge in the case approved the damages model proposed by the plaintiffs. Now, the suit alleges that Oracle falsely overstated their cloud revenue by threatening to audit customers. The suit was brought by some shareholders who are accusing Oracle of inflating their numbers back in 2017 and 2018 through those aforementioned audits, but also through offering huge discounts for on-prem hardware and software, provided that they signed short-term contracts, which were either never executed on or never renewed. Um, now, Jim, you're the Oracle guy around here, so I'm going to defer to you. What does this mean, not only for Oracle's legal uh, department, but also for their cloud aspirations? Great question, Tom. Just to make uh, it plain, I am an Oracle ACE director. I do not work for Oracle, but I've been an Oracle DBA for 20 years. I've been through an Oracle audit. It's not pretty. It's ugly. Um, interestingly, this was a pattern that was going on back in that time zone, right? Uh, the thing is, though, that if you take a look at that, by the way, that uh, court case, it was brought against some of the people that aren't even there anymore, including Thomas Curian, right? So, uh, yeah, th those types of practices were going on. Uh, we were aware of some of the things in the Oracle community. Uh, I think it was kind of dumb that they did that. Uh, again, I'm encouraged to say things like that if I think something's pretty dumb. Um, but yeah, it just did not make sense that they uh, decided to pursue this. It was never a good idea. I actually know of one of my customers uh, that back in 2020 was sort of suggested they were going to face that. And uh, it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. You know, it's funny. People say, uh, I hate Oracle. What they really mean is I hate my sales rep. That's my opinion, right? Because it's a pretty good company. It's a pretty good product. Uh, it's innovative. Uh, and they have huge cloud aspirations and they're growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, Gartner's been rating them quite well recently. So bottom line, uh, I think it's going to be no surprise. Somebody acted like fool, uh, but I don't really think it's going to stop them from a cloud perspective, Tom. I read another interesting story this uh, past week. Cisco's having some problems with memory. Specifically, they're talking about DIMMs that were manufactured in 2020 uh, that could fail prematurely. Uh, the notice from Cisco said the errors may appear uh, when the system posts and could reduce the memory capacity of the UCS server and could even 
disabled the memory module completely. Cisco created a serial number validation tool, check for this, and if necessary, will help you to de determine whether or not you need to replace the modules. So what do you think, Tom? That's good news to hear on a Monday morning. Uh, it is. It absolutely is the best kind of news that you're going to have to go spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out which of these servers might be affected. <clears throat> now, I'll give you a hint. They should be relatively new because the memory modules that were affected were manufactured in the mid to end of 2020. Hmm. What was going on in the middle to the end of 2020 that could possibly have an effect on the output of systems? Oh, wait, I know the answer to this. And I think that this is going to be a problem, not just for Cisco, but we're going to start seeing this happening more and more. You're running on a reduced capacity inside of these manufacturing facilities. You might be cutting a few corners to get things shoved out the door because you don't have enough people. And now we're in a chip shortage, which means you probably were running out of materials to begin with. Set your watches, folks. Sometime in mid-2023 to early 2024, we're going to start seeing a lot more people who are going to be forced to acknowledge that a lot of the components in the devices that they were able to get out are actually going to fail prematurely because of bad quality control, because basically it was the spares that happened to be sitting around the office that maybe were of questionable um, quality to begin with getting pushed out the door to meet contracts. I don't think that we've seen the end of this. I think that Cisco, unfortunately, was just the first one to get caught with uh, with this kind of thing. And at least they're being proactive about it. Now, the only question that I have is, were the spares that Cisco has for replacement things that were already in the kind of affected range, so you're just basically swapping them out and buying yourself an extra six months, or is this some of the situations where they wanted new stock to mm -hmm. replace them, and we're going to run into a problem where, oh, yeah, we'll totally get you a new memory module, but it's going to be about eight months before we can ship it to you. Ouch. Yeah. And I just bought a whole bunch of new appliances, hopefully not affected by any of these types of problems. I've been hearing stories about people, uh, actually some manufacturers having to rip uh, chips out of refrigerators and dishwashers to handle other needs. So Jim, uh, some positive news from Cisco, because you know after the whole bad memory thing, you gotta have a win. And they announced this week that they have a new offering that leverages analytics and AI to predict problems and even provide fixes for them before they become problems. Um, per the press release, Cisco is using neural networks and AI developed by some of their intelligent fellows like JP Vasseur, who's someone that we've seen quite a few mm -hmm. times on Tech Field Day, to refine the ability to do this kind of predictive analysis over a wide range of devices. Now. Let's see here. We've always heard that AI kind of gives us this predictive capability, Jim, but do you really believe that Cisco has the, finally has the ability to see into the future? Well, it couldn't predict the dims that just, never mind. Um, <laughs> maybe those dims are in the predictive AI hardware. Now, uh, let's not kick someone when they're down. Actually, from some of the work I've done in AI and machine learning, I think they probably do have the chops to do this. Uh, they're announcing it at uh, a relatively uh, late point in the game where a lot of companies are already doing this, right? Uh, I know back to my Oracle uh, background in shops, uh, Oracle's been doing this for uh, things like cybersecurity and detecting bad or harmful uh, cyber workloads, if you will, uh, and you know checking for uh, pre with predictive analytics things like security logs and things like this. So, you know, if you think about it, this shouldn't really be that much harder to do uh, because they already have a body of knowledge about bad networking traffic and things like that. So, um, you know, I'd say wait and see, uh, but my guess is that this is gonna be something we're gonna see more and more in the future, especially in the next two to three years. Predictive analytics, 
Uh, and then finally, prescriptive analytics, right, where the thing's just going to fix itself, I think is something uh, we're going to see more and more of. So, Tom, interestingly, the FIDO Alliance got some support this week from big industry names, Apple, Google, Microsoft. They've all announced that they will support the FIDO passwordless sign-in standard. That was co-developed with the World Wide Web Consortium. Um, and the standard allows websites and applications to offer end-to-end sign-in options that don't require passwords. The new standard could leverage existing PIN codes and biometrics like fingerprints and face prints to achieve security. With the backing of these large manufacturers, uh, the likelihood that FIDO will become a widely adopted standard for authentication looks pretty high. Tom, what do you think this means for the future of passwords? Well, it's funny because we have to deal with them all day long, and we know that, and we hate it. And I used to work at IBM, and I had a guy who every 30 days would religiously change like 18 passwords because one of them expired, and he wanted them all the same. And I'm like, mm, you're missing the point, my man. But yep. the funny thing about it is, is that this is a huge problem for people because like, when you're used to using a mobile device, whether it's a phone or a tablet or or even a, a laptop that has the ability to use your fingerprint or your face to unlock it, you're like, why can't that just unlock everything? You know, think about something as uh, you know ubiquitous now as a password manager. I know one password, I can get into my vault and I can autofill all those passwords. What Fido is trying to do is they're trying to make that as frictionless as possible by saying essentially, once you've unlocked your device, that device becomes a token that allows you to unlock all of these other apps, all of these other uh, websites. And when you think about it, you kind of already have that because when you go, when you get into your phone, Facebook's already logged in, Twitter's already logged in. Why can't I have that experience for everything else that I do? And that's what they're trying to build on. But the unfortunate thing is, is and you and I know this, just because you've developed a standard and set its industry standard doesn't mean that the industry is going to adopt it. I, uh, I, I reference Betamax. Um, so what you need is you need big people to sign on and that's what they got. So Microsoft signing on, okay, I'll buy that because office is probably the most used application out there, but having sign on from Apple, having sign on from Google means that iOS and Android will support Fido, at least in theory, which means that now developers can build hooks into Fido to start enabling all of these functions. And and we actually got a look at something else that Fido does last year at Security Field Day, where you can use these me mechanisms to uh, authenticate IoT devices. So imagine if you could deploy a wide range of IoT devices on your network, and then have them <coughs> authenticate without needing to go like log into the web page of each one and, and type some stuff in, they would just automatically provision based on certain IDs. Boy, doesn't that sound great. I think that this is a huge win for FIDO to be able to get this adoption. We'll probably not see it this year. It's coming too close to Google I.O. It's coming too close to, to Worldwide Developer Conference to really be something that can be integrated into the operating system. But maybe like next year or the year after, we're going to start seeing some real traction in the market. That would be nice, especially I like your point about IoT devices, because that seems to be uh, more and more uh, a vector for a lot of distributed denial of service attacks, and just people, you know, don't think about, hmm, should, have I changed the password on my baby monitor lately that I haven't used in five years? 
All right. Well, there are a couple of stories we wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at um, from this week, and I thought they were kind of an interesting thing. So I'm going to start off with one for you, Jim, because Dell Technologies World happened last week. And while the response online was somewhat muted compared to the uh, things that we've seen in the years past, there was one thing that stood out to a lot of the analysts that were in attendance. Um, we, we linked to an article from Chris Malore from the Register and from Blocks and Files, but he was talking about um, some of the spotlight at the event falling on a guy named Chuck Witten who is currently the co-CEO of Dell and the person that a lot of people have tapped to be the heir apparent to Michael Dell. Um, Dell is in much better shape now than when they spent the billions and billions of dollars that they did a few years ago to buy EMC. Remember they've spun off VMware and they've used that cash to pay down some debt and they've done a lot of other strategic moves to kind of get rid of some of the pieces that maybe they didn't necessarily need. Um, and so it's putting him in much better shape. Now, the rumors are starting to swirl that Michael Dell's probably about done. Sometime within the next 12 to 18 months, he's probably going to step down and appoint the CEO. And we've seen this before at a lot of other large companies like Nutanix and Cisco and EMC and, and VMware and you name it. Now, Jim, what do you think about the prospects of Dell minus Dell? Wow. Yeah. Um Interesting perspective, isn't it? Uh, especially uh, the the new guy, right? That we're talking about uh, is originally from Bain Capital and did a lot of work with Dell over the years. Over, I think he had a two decades career. He was one of their primary analysts, right? Uh, again, he spoke very well at uh, the recent Dell conference, uh, as noted. It was the first time he probably talked to a crowd of 10,000 Dell enthusiasts, and he delivered the goods pretty, pretty much. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, a, if you will, seriously non-tech person, even one that knows the inside uh, dealings of Dell as well as he probably does, whether he's going to have more of a financial or fintech orientation towards it or more of a technology perspective towards it, right? Uh, he is on board, I think, interestingly, with the idea of multi-cloud. Uh, one of the interesting things that uh, he mentioned is that by 2025, 75% of data is going to be uh, processed outside the data center. Right, it's going to be up in the cloud, and I don't see that changing. I see that accelerating. I think 2025 is actually a little late from my perspective. Uh, so it's a pretty bold pop, uh, proposition, but I think it's something that's going to ring true. What's your yeah. take on it, Tom? So it's interesting that that we looked into the background of, of Chuck, thanks to the article from Chris. And yeah, he did come right. from paying capital. And it's funny because there's a shot in Chris's um, post that's absolutely hilarious. The other co-CEO is kind of like a more technology-oriented guy sitting on stage in jeans and a t-shirt. And this guy's sitting in the, uh, the, uh, the black tie Silicon Valley outfit, which is essentially a suit with no tie. And so everyone's like, oh, you know, I wonder what's going to happen. And there are parallels right. to this. This is Steve Jobs stepping aside in favor of Tim Cook. Whatever you think of Tim Cook, he is a great manager. Is he an innovator? I would say probably not. But that's typically what happens as a company matures and their founders and their, their driving forces kind of step away is they want to leave the company in good hands. They don't want to risk a whole lot of it. And so they want someone who's stoic someone who is measured in their response and that's kind of the what I, the feeling i got from chuck witten just from a little bit that i know is in, in a way it's almost like chuck robbins taking over for john chambers at cisco i can put this in your hands and i'm not going to be worried about you taking the company off-roading yeah you might not get off the highway 
but if the highway's taking you where I think you need to go anyway, I'm not really worried about that. The question for me is what's Chuck going to do the first time he gets up against it? Like, like we know that Michael Dell was willing to stake a huge portion of his personal uh, fortune on what's going on and, and get Silver Lake involved to buy the company back so that he could kind of restructure it and do the things he wanted to do when he took it private. Is Chuck going to take it public again to get rid of a lot of that debt? Because Michael Dell wants to do run Dell his way without the interference and input from people who have a quarter by quarter vision for what they want to do. I don't think Chuck cares. I think Chuck is going to be like, you know what? We want to pay down the debt. We don't really care if we're beholden to the people out there. As long as Silver Lake gets paid, I don't care. I think that they're going to end up taking it public if the changeover happens within the next five years to get back some of that um, revenue so that they can start making money again. And then we'll have to see kind of where it goes from there, because it, depending on how much influence Michael Dell still has, maybe he retires as a CEO, but retains his position as a chairman of the board. Maybe that becomes a bigger problem in the future when they're you know butting heads with each other because they have a different outlook on things. Yeah, excellent points. And again, that's that whole attitude of are we doing it quarter by quarter, right? Uh, seen other shakeups like this, uh, you know, since I'm the Oracle guy, I've seen that whole thing with the co-CEO aspect with Safford Katz and Mark Hurd and how well that played out. Uh, these are always tricky times for any type of corporation, but especially one is heavily invested in hardware and to be honest, software and firmware as well, right? As Dell, interesting times are ahead for sure. So here's another interesting bit of news, Tom. The White House announced last week they're worried about quantum computers. Specifically, they're worried about the capability for quantum computers to invalidate many popular forms of encryption. In a new national security memorandum, the government announced the importance of a new strategy for creating quantum-resistant cryptography. That's a mouthful. <laughs> In the memo, the government hints at the possibility that other countries could develop quantum computers that could track any RSA-based encryption. Tom, why do you think this is suddenly such a big deal? Because suddenly we're not the big dog on the block. Um, you know, Fred, and, yeah. and I, I covered quantum computers and quantum encryption in, uh, in a previous episode of Conversations, but here's essentially all you need to know. Um, go watch Sneakers from the 90s. Um, because that movie essentially tells you everything you need to know about what would happen if someone developed a quantum computer. You literally can invalidate all RSA-based um, large number prime factoring encryption instantaneously. Why? Well, the idea is, is that if you know the, the product of the primes, you can create the encryption key, but not necessarily know which primes were used to create it. But because a quantum computer can effectively know all of the states of a given input at all times, essentially what you said is, well, now that I know the output, I know which primes were used to create it. And so I can essentially crack the encryption in real time. Scary thing, right? Fun fact, Sneaker's uh, technical expert was Alderman, the A in RSA. He basically wrote a movie proving what would happen when someone developed a computer strong enough to break his encryption. So fast forward to today. Does that mean that all encryption is bunk no it doesn't because nist has actually been working on quantum proof encryption for at least four years that i know of if not longer and they've been working mm -hmm. with a lot of companies in the industry to help develop these quantum algorithms and essentially what they are doing is they are doing the same thing that a modern encryption algorithm is which is you can figure out the product of what those primes are but the amount of time that it's going to take for you to do that effectively renders the ability to break that encryption moot 
And so that's what they're trying to do for a quantum computer because there's a lot of other factors coming into it. I mean, there was a news story this week that IBM is like, yeah, we give us three years and we'll solve a lot of these problems, create a 4,000 qubit quantum computer. One, no, you won't because um, physics doesn't work quite that like that. But secondly, like that, that would be like an order and a magnitude higher than the one needed to be able to break all these algorithms. And I think that part of this is we're starting to see a lot of uptick from non-US countries, specifically China, when it comes to creating these kinds of technological advances. And this is kind of like the old story of, of an AI becoming self-aware. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, this is not a solvable problem because like, you know, three seconds ago, we did not have a, a quantum computer that was capable of doing this. And right now we do. So as soon as we start feeding it inputs, it's going to break everything. So much like the government tends to move at a very slow speed, what they're hoping is that by creating this memorandum in these working groups right now to develop a better quantum proof encryption algorithm, by the time we develop a computer that is capable of cracking RSA or public key cryptography or whatever it is, that we will be able to already have gotten a lot of our important data re-encrypted on any one of these algorithms that has been defined by NIST as being quantum proof or at least quantum resistant so that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time having another Y2K problem where we're running around like crazy trying to encrypt our data before people who are not friendly to us can get a hold of it. Yeah, it's a, a scary prospect, uh, but the U.S. is working on quantum computing as well, so it's not like uh, we're getting caught, uh, you know, with, with our proverbial pants down. I mean, we, we are working on this as well. And I'm not that concerned about it because again, just because you have a quantum computer, you really have to know how to use it to essentially break the cryptography. Right. And, uh, it's going to take some time. Somebody will do it, but hopefully it won't affect the financial markets, especially, uh, with, you know, Let's be honest, really everything's a bunch of ones and zeros in our bank accounts. And that would be the probably the worst place that I would see it happening. Um, and let's be honest, people do have a lot of spare time on their hands in other countries with high education levels. And uh, if they had their hands on quantum computers, I'd be scared. And see, that's the deal, is the U.S. has been doing a lot of work in quantum computing for a very long time. Companies like IBM and Google are really leading the way in it. Right. But they always thought that they were in the lead comfortably and there was no way that people uh, were going to catch up anytime soon. And I think what's happened is, is that they've noticed that other people are making very big strides very quickly for gotcha. reasons. And so now it's if we don't do something about kind of defending our fort, then someone could just waltz right in and take what they want. Yeah. Well, that's a nice upbeat way to uh, end our week. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the good news is, is that there's some more cool stuff coming in the next couple of weeks, a couple of things I wanted to make sure that I brought to your attention. So we're actually going to be having AI field day, which will be going on next week, May 18th, 19th and 20th. Um, there's a great lineup of presenters there. Uh, you'll definitely want to tune in at techfieldday.com. Uh, in June, we're going to be having our next uh, in-person field day event at another event, Tech Field Day Extra at Cisco Live US. We just announced the dates for that June 14th and 15th. I'll be there with a great group of people learning about some of the cool stuff that Cisco has been working on. Hopefully we'll get a look at that really cool uh, predictive analysis algorithm that JP has been working on. And then, you know, maybe a few more things. But if you want to learn about all the cool stuff that we're doing here at Tech Field Day and Gestalt IT, make sure you head over to techfieldday.com, check out the list of events that are coming up. We actually just added a whole bunch of events for the second half of the year. So if you're interested in things like networking, mobility, storage, security, 
you name it, there's probably something that you're going to want to take advantage of. But Jim, if people want to check out some of the cool stuff that you're working on, where's the best place to find that? Probably Twitter. That's the easiest place at Jim, the Y W H Y guy and at Jim, the Y Awesome. Well, if you want to check out some of the cool stuff we do here at Gestalt IT that isn't the rundown, we have our uh, on-premise IT roundtable podcast. We have some uh, coverage posts from events and as well as highlighting some of our favorite people in the community. Just make sure you check out gestaltit.com. And if you want to listen to this podcast as uh, an audio podcast, maybe on your run or your drive, make sure you subscribe to us in your favorite podcast application of choice. We will be back next week with more great news about some of the cool stuff going on in the industry. We'll see if uh, anything interesting happens. Um, but if there is a news story that you want us to cover on the rundown, please make sure you tweet at us. We're at Gestalt IT. Use the hashtag rundown, and we'll put it on our list of things that we want to talk about. Jim, thank you very much for, uh, for filling in for Stephen today. We sincerely appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing and hearing from you again in the future. But for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Jim, for all of the great people here at Gestalt IT and our wonderful community members, thank you very much. We'll see you next Wednesday and have yourselves a great week. <laughs>